everyone, my name is Gates. And I'm Kelsey. And welcome to Killer Country. weeks and one day right now as of the recording. I'm so excited <laughs> and I just got a call from my OB today and she just told me that um, they know the gender of my baby. Did you find out? I didn't so okay. um, I told her that I don't want to know we're going to do like a small little gender reveal on su- Saturday. I keep saying Sunday but I really mean Saturday. <laughs> the day that we're it. Really- no it's on Sunday. It's on Sunday. <laughs> Is it Saturday or Sunday? <laughs> it's Sunday. It's Sunday. Holly is getting back from vacation on Saturday, so it's Sunday. Ch- pregnancy brain is a thing. It's so real. I told a lady that I loved her backy the other day, and we just stared at each other. I like to say What did backpack. you mean? Oh, her backy. It's like yeah. Australian. Yeah. Like, I, I like your Winnie the Pooh backy. And she, we just looked at each other. I was like, no. No, nope, not I what backpack. I meant. <laughs> But, um, so we also did the genetic testing. Every, I didn't know that I was anxious, but I just needed to know if I needed to pre- prepare for anything. But everything sure. came back very low risk. Good. So we're excited. Can't wait to find out the gender of our baby on Sunday. <laughs> Sunday, not Sunday. Saturday. You're sure. Yes. You make sure you arrive. That, that I feel like that's important that you're there on the right day. <laughs> yes. Right day, right time. But, so by the time that you guys will be listening to this, I will have already known the gender of my baby for one week. So exciting. Oh, we're so excited. <laughs> so how have you been? How's this past week been to you? It's good. It's good. This week has been crazy. Um, we are just trucking along. Okay, so do you want to tell them where we're at today? We are traveling from Alaska to Arizona. We are going from frigid cold to the hottest desert. And I hope you have your pun ready because I threw in a pun. Oh, no, I didn't even think about the pun. They just have to come to me naturally. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, I hope that you can figure it out while you're podcasting. Otherwise, we are going to be very disappointed, (laughs) girls. I can always add it into the description. Yes, you can. (laughs) So, um, just like with everything, we're doing it alphabetically. So, I am in Phoenix today, and Kelsey is in Scottsdale. Yep. So, I am going to go ahead and present to you guys my case first, which is a bit of a doozy. Um, real quick, before we get started, do we want to backtrack and cover... Sorry, I should we should have talked about this beforehand. Um, do we want to backtrack and cover our missing people from Alabama and Alaska? Yeah. And then end our podcast with Arizona's? Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Um, so, for those of you who don't know what the heck we're talking about, um, we want to put a big focus on the missing people in each of the states that we travel to. So, moving forward, we are going to cover recent missing persons from the current state that we're in. Um, now that we are three episodes in, we're going to backtrack and, um, we didn't want to forget about the states that we had already covered. So we are going to go ahead and hit Alabama and Alaska and then move forward with our cases and we will finish up with Arizona. Missing people in Alabama, 
Um, we are actually going to, the most recent I could find um, is a little girl. She is 12 years old, born November 4th, 2008. Her name is Kamaya Stillwell. She is African-American, female, um, black hair, hazel eyes. She's about five foot, 95 pounds, and she was last seen on September 18th, 2021. So if you guys have any information about her disappearance, um, know the family, know any information um, about where she might be, how, how she got out of the state, if she is, if she's lo still local, um, you can send all of that information into the Montgomery Police Department, which is, the phone number four is 134, excuse me, backing up, 1-334-241-2651. You may also call 911 or 1-800-THE-LOST. That's 1-800-843-5678. Again, that little girl's name, um, she's 12-year-old Kamaya Stillwell, and her family desperately wants her home. She was last seen wearing a green shirt, blue jeans, and black boots, and she may be traveling to Oklahoma. Okay. So this is going to be for all of my people here in Alabama. We can talk about Arkansas, Mississippi. I know mm -hmm. whenever I travel that way, I always have to go through Mississippi, a little bit of Tennessee, Arkansas. Um, you can go through Texas, Louisiana, depending on how you're going through and going to Oklahoma. But Lots most, of states to have the opportunity to see her. So Yeah. That's... And she's beautiful, mm -hmm. has this curly hair, about a little shorter than shoulder length. Mm -hmm. It's natural. Just cute as they come. Mm -hmm. Super precious. Um, missing in Alaska. This one was a little bit interesting. Alaska does not have very many reported missing persons, um, at least in 2021. So that's either a really good thing or can be a really scary thing. Mm -hmm. So the most recent one I could find is a gentleman by the name of Douglas Farnsworth. He was last seen near Thunder Mountain on September 26th. And the truck he was driving was found on Basin Road. He's 32 years old, 5'11", about 165 pounds. He has brown eyes um, and hair. He's believed to be wearing a blue and white plaid flannel and blue jeans. Um, he does have multiple tattoos. Um, he's got tribal print on his arms and on his forearms. So they would be visible even, you know, if he's just got his sleeves rolled up or if he's wearing a short sleeve. Um, if you have seen Doug uh, or have any information about where he might be, you can call the Juneau Police Department at 907-586-0600 um, or also call 911. So his last contact was on September 28th uh, via text message with a family member. Uh, the vehicle that he was reported to be driving was found at Flume Trail off Basin Road. Um, during a search of the area, clothing items believed to belong to Douglas were located, and his location of travel is unknown. They did just recently find a body in the area and had yet to identify it as of October 8th when this report came out. Um, the family did report, though, that they do not believe it was him. They were out still actively looking. So unless we hear otherwise, that's the way we're going to treat it. And if you have any information, please call. Without further ado we can move on into our cases, historic cases <laughs> yes. in Arizona. Have you ever been to Arizona? I haven't, but one of my little sisters lives there. Oh, what part does she so, live in? 
That's a great question. Oh. <laughs> um, I believe it is Tucson. Okay. So I don't know if we've ever talked about my crazy family dynamics. A little bit. But um, inclu- so we don't believe in step in half in my family. Sure. And uh, my mom and dad divorced whenever I was young. Both of them married people who had kids. Okay. And my mom and my stepdad divorced uh, more recently, and he got remarried. Okay. So my stepdad is still my dad. He's been yeah. with me since I was two. Of course. And he married a woman with four kids. So all together, I have 14 siblings. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> um, How fun, though. It's a lot of fun. Um, my littlest sister, she's, okay, she's literally my littlest sister because she's like five foot nothing. <laughs> so physically the littlest. <laughs> yes. But not age-wise. So okay. She, she's actually the middle one. We are both the middle ones. Gotcha. So I have an old... No, wait. We're not both the middle ones. Her and my sister Brittany are the middle ones. But um, she's she was born in '99, so she's 21 at the time of 21 at the time of the recording because her birthday is on the 26th of this month. <laughs> Good timing. Yes. But um, she just recently moved out there right before my husband and I got married in 2020. Okay. So and I she have, loves it. She loves it. They have a pool at the house nice. that she's living at, and I really want to go visit. Uh, that's what I've heard. That is like a beautiful area to visit. It's warm all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, my best friend lived out there. She went to uh, Paige. I'm really sorry. I don't know what college you went to, but I know it's in Tempe. <laughs> so, is that ASU in Tempe? I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> she wore really cute tanks with the devil on them. Okay. So I'm sure our listeners might know all 28 yeah. of you guys. Yeah, tell us. Sorry, Paige. Well, actually, I guess 27 because I listened to our episode as well. Oh, 26 because so did I. <laughs> All 26 of you guys out there, we appreciate you. We love you. Um, so I guess without further ado, let's jump on into a Phoenix. Let's do it. So I'm going to go ahead and start off with, as silly as this sounds right now before hearing anything, I'm going to go ahead and start off with the dinner. The definition of sleepwalking because that is actually the defense that this man had used so according to the Mayo Clinic sleepwalking involves getting up and walking around in a state of sleep this is more common in children than it is in adults and it's usually grown out of by their teen years they say that rare isolated incidents of sleepwalking don't signal serious problems or require treatment but recurrent sleepwalking may suggest an underlying sleep disorder I don't know okay. if you're on TikTok. But I follow this girl. Oh my gosh, I think I know who you're talking about. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love her so much, and her videos give me life. They are, they crack me up. So I have funny sleepwalking stories actually about the same friend who is my Arizona friend, Paige. What? So growing up, Paige and I have been friends since the second grade. She was actually assigned to me um, as a new student to show me around. Oh. I know. So forced best friends. Yes, we are. Um, But she used to sleepwalk like crazy when we were kids. And there was one time, so the house I grew up in, our, my bedroom was on the basement floor. So we had our main floor, a set of stairs, main floor, a set of stairs, upstairs. And Paige was sleeping over and she slept walk from my bedroom in the basement up the flight of stairs, up the second flight of stairs to my mom and dad's room, where she then, <laughs> just wait, she grabs my mom's feet and <laughs> s- 
scares the ever-loving shit out of her. So my mom screams, which makes my dad scream, which wakes Paige up. So she's immediately mortified. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And my mom thought they were being axe murdered. Paige, I'm sure, was so... Oh, we were, we were not very old at the time. But it's probably one of my favorite memories. Like guaranteed if Paige was sleeping over you were bound to get a great like sleep talking she was getting up somewhere like had to all but lock us in the bedroom that's I'm crying that's wonderful I'm so sorry Paige that we're laughing at your expense no we're laughing with you because we love you yes we are absolutely Uh, anyway someone who is sleepwalking may get out of bed and walk around just like Paige um, not respond or communicate with others be disoriented or confused for a short time after being awakened so rightfully so yes and I really want you guys to pay attention to this because every single thing that I have included is something that it happens later on okay So, um, they might do routine activities such as getting dressed, talking, or eating, Mm -hmm. or they might become violent during the period of brief confusion immediately after waking or occasionally during sleepwalking. So that is like very rarely does this happen that during sleepwalking they become violent. So it is recommended to see a doctor if these things occur more than one to two times a week or if they occur several times a night. And one major risk of sleepwalking is age. Hmm. What did I say? A risk of sleepwalking is age. If you sleepwalk, you're old. (laughs) Even though it's supposed to be kids. No, okay. Backtrack. At least I can now officially break. Yeah. (laughs) Brave your blame. Brave my blame, not pregnancy blame. Blame my pregnancy brain for just my pregnancy brain. Okay. So, one major risk factor to sleepwalking is age. So, it occurs more often in children than it does in adults. And if it's onset in adulthood, that means that it's more likely to be related to an underlying condition. So, sleepwalking is not necessarily a concern, but a complication, I'm saying in air quotes, Mm -hmm. can include hurting themselves whenever they're walking downstairs, wandering outdoors, driving a car, things like that. And they can embarrass themselves, disturb other sleep, but rarely will they injure someone. And with that being said, I would love to tell you guys the story of the philaters. Philaters. It's philaters. Because I, I had to remind myself, like, because last time I mm-hmm. messed up the officer's <laughs> name so many times. And so I told myself, just think of Bobby Filet. F- uh, okay. So it's the philaters. Philater. Philaters. F-A-L-A-T-E-R-S. Later. Okay. Yes. So this takes place in a time before we were born, January sixteenth, nineteen ninety seven. No, we were born. We were born. <laughs> we were a thousand percent born. Okay. For some Two reason, years old. That was ninety two. Yes, we were. We were one and a half. Almost. What two. month is this? This is January. January of ninety seven. Yeah, we hadn't turned two yet. Okay, so. We were alive. Let's just... Okay. This takes place on January 16th, 1997 at the Philaters family home in Phoenix, Arizona. 
So, and I tried to call my sister, but she's ignoring me because she's stupid and going to school <laughs> and raising a baby. How dare and, she? I know, and just living her life. But I wanted to ask her if you can hear someone rolling around on the rocks outside. Because, I what, know. What kind of, so, what? Being being where we live in Alabama, we don't have rocks. We have grass. We have Red dirt. Clay. We have clay. We have all of this stuff on the ground. So we don't have rocks as landscaping, really. Right. Or if you do, you're bougie. <laughs> so um, That desert landscaping. Yes. And so I was trying to call Brianna to say, hey, um, can you hear, like, if someone's rolling around on the rocks outside? Like, physically rolling around, like... Like, I'm thinking stop, drop, and roll like a, a log. So this, it says, um, it says, uh, my research, it says neighbors jolted awake to the sound of screaming and someone rolling around in the rocks outside. Okay, so they're literally flailing in rocks. Yes. I, I would think you would probably hear that. But, like, how far away? Well, I mean. I guess rocks can be loud. Have you, okay, have you, have you like, driven on a gravel road? Yes. So, even if you drive really, really slow on a gravel road, now I, I get it, like, a car is much bigger than a pure person. Yeah. But if a car is driving really slow on a gravel road, like, you can still hear that crunching. Mm-hmm. So, if somebody's literally rolling around. Yeah, you can hear that from yeah. your neighbor's second story. I would story. think so. Okay. But, um, so, this obviously scared them. They jolted awake. They called the police and later told reporters, yeah, we went outside to see if we could hear it. And if someone needed help or something, and then the screaming quit. They told the police in the initial call, the husband just threw, I believe, the wife into the pool. It looked like he's holding her underwater. Oh my god. Yeah. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know. It's weird. I'm concerned. That's what the neighbor told the dispatcher. It... Stop giving me that look because you you have the right to give me that look here in a few seconds. Okay. So, um, the neighbor later told the police that he watched Scott stab his wife, then drag her body to the pool and hold her underwater. Oh my gosh. Now you can give me that look. (laughs) So, by the time the police arrived to the house, Scott was waiting for them. He claims to have been sleepwalking and said that he couldn't remember anything. His wife, Yermilla, was found dead in the pool with 44 stab wounds. 44. You, he woke up. There's no way. Oh, my god. 44 stab wounds. Yeah. Talk about overkill. And he said that he couldn't remember anything. None of it. None of it. And so, in my notes, I put, sounds a little sus if you ask. And I, made, I would say so. I made Nick read through this last night while he was, like, about to go into a dungeon. Sorry, babe. And um, he was, like... Sounds sus. <laughs> sus. I was like, yeah, you know, suspicious. And That's the thing now. The kids say it. Yeah. Sus. Yeah. I, I want to be cool. Like, I want to be a cool kid. <laughs> We're cool. We're yes. hip. So the neighbors, on the other hand, had a completely different story to tell. The neighbors said that they watched uh, Scott stab his wife, drag her to the pool, hold her head underwater, and then he quieted his dog, turned the light on, took his clothes off, and then later it was found that he went down to the garage and stashed the knife and his bloody clothes in the, in the car. All while asleep. All while sleepwalking. Oh, yeah. Scott. Scotty, Scotty, Scotty. 
So um, with all that being said, let's move on two years to the trial. So now we're going to be in 1999. So in the defense, they brought up that sleepwalking can be caused by stress. And a former co-worker of his told reporters that they didn't work 40-hour weeks at Motorola where he was employed. She said that they usually worked 60 to 80-hour work weeks. And she said that he would be under a tremendous amount of pressure from his management to get products released on times. So the deadlines that he had to meet were incredibly tough and everyone gets stressed or tense, but I never saw him lose his voice. And um, news reports described Scott as a mild-mannered Mormon. Oh. Yes. The Mormon. A mild-mannered one. Wow. <laughs> I've never heard of a non-mild-mannered Mormon, but... Mild-mannered Mormon, say that fast, three times fast. I can't even speak correctly. I'm not even going to try. But both the prosecuting and the defense had experts testify, had sleep experts testify in their defense. So they had some on the prosecuting side, some on the defense side. Both of them, like both sides had their own opinions on whether or not he could have been awake or asleep this entire time. The defense tries to claim that there was no motive ever shown and that he had no reason to kill his wife. And whereas the prosecution said that the couple did not have a happy marriage and that they had been feuding over having more children. So at the time they only had two, uh, they had a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old, both boys. And um, they were fighting about her lack of devotion to the Mormon faith. Oh. Mm-hmm. So this is according to the prosecution. Now, um, they claimed that... Scott claimed that he honestly remembered nothing from the night of the murder. He was said to have not shown much, if any, emotion during the trial. So I did watch a video on azfamily.com of a portion of the trial and when he was on the stand at one point he said with tears in his eyes I assumed that I must have gone crazy or something in my head and had and my head had broken I went through some of the scenarios where maybe this was a frame job I remember detective Norman pointing out the blood on me during the interrogation which now that I think about it really confirmed it had to be me And he actually sounded very sincere at that point. Hmm. But I was so frustrated while watching it. Um, And, of course, I know, like, whenever you're on the stand, you can't, you know, show emotion. Whenever you're being prosecuted, you can't show emotion. Because anything that you do, they can say, oh, well, he was smirking. Oh, she was doing this or Mm -hmm. whatever. You almost have to be Mm stone-faced. And if you get too out of line, like, too emotional, you can be dismissed completely. Exactly. But I just got really frustrated because at one point they had said, you don't wake up stabbing your wife 44 times, but you can wake up to a little alarm on your wristwatch. And with so much sass in this man's face, he said, well, I'm not a sleep expert. Oh. I was like, oh, excuse me. Whoa. Yeah. So his family testified that he had a history of sleepwalking and that at one point he picked up his sister and threw her while he was sleepwalking. The jury, of course, did not believe his tale. And the prosecutors had also driven in the point that he was able to recognize his dog and calm him uh, during the time that he claimed to be asleep. Right. As well as get undressed and stash his clothes and knife. Mm -hmm. Down in the garage. So, if I'm remembering correctly, he had a two-story house. Bedroom was upstairs. Yeah. So, this is now three, at least 
three or more locations that he traveled to while sleepwalking. Like, yeah. wow. So after, I need to stop saying so. <laughs> I noticed that I've been saying so like every single paragraph that I come to. After a month-long trial, the jury found the defendant guilty of murder in the first degree. After the verdict was read, several jurors spoke out, all extremely unapologetic of the verdict. And I have a few quotes from them, because Nick was just like, Gates, this grammar isn't correct. And I said, I know, but it's a quote. I can't change it. Yes. So they said, I felt that maybe the first two stabs to Yarmila, but the number of stab wounds and the fact that she was drugged to the pool and held underwater, I can't believe he was sleepwalking. Another had said, taking the clothes and putting them in the container, putting the container inside of the trunk, cleaning up, changing clothes, that just struck us as not quite believable. (laughs) At this time, the judge was the person to decide the sentencing for the defendant, not the jurors. And he sentenced Scott to spend the rest of his life in prison without the possibility of parole. So his defense to the whole thing was, you have these two children who had just lost their mother. In one way or another, they were going to lose their father. Mm -hmm. They didn't want him to get the death penalty. And he also said that he served, or no, he didn't say this. I'm saying this. He's currently serving time in the Yuma prison complex um, in San Luis. San Luis? San Luis? San Luis. I don't know. It's S A N L U I S. Like I know, like St. Louis, like L O U I S in Missouri, but Arizona. Tell us, is it San Luis or San Luis? Please, we oh, it, need to know. I, I'm sticking with San Luis. Final answer. Okay. <laughs> I I will go the opposite and say San Luis. So. Flash forward to over 20 years later, now we're in the year 2020. Lori Lady, Lady, a top sleep expert in Phoenix, says that it's very difficult to wake people up whenever they're sleepwalking. She said that you don't remember what you do while you're sleepwalking. So now that means that I'm not able to make the joke that sleepwalkers always follow their dreams. <laughs> That's <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> When she was questioned about his wife screaming and being stabbed 44 times and that if that should wake a person up, she said that it should because the moments are very intentional, right? 44 stabs? Yes. But you also wonder in that unconscious mind, we have no idea what's really going on. She does believe that Scott did have a sleeping disorder, but that an episode like this would only last up to 20 minutes and Scott had about 50 minutes of lost time that he cannot remember well that's what i'm thinking of too like not only he was in three separate locations he did multiple acts Mm -hmm. and then like i'm i'm strictly going off of my very uneducated (laughs) experience with a friend who slept walk Mm -hmm. and like everything she did was very like disorganized like she was not doing like she didn't walk to the refrigerator get a snack wash her hands use the bathroom and come back to bed like Mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah and a lot of the times like she would come back to bed if it was just like out to the hallway and back or what have you she didn't wake up for throughout the entire thing so at what point did he wake up when after he murdered and drowned his wife Mm -hmm. he got undressed put his clothes in a container in the back of a car all of that makes a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. Your car beeps when the trunk opens. Mm-hmm. It's a plastic container, I would assume. That makes noise. The dog is obviously barking if he has to settle it. Mm-hmm. So all, 
at, uh, even if it's hard to wake up, there has to be a point that he wakes up. Yeah. Like, I imagine stabbing someone 44 times. Like... I can't. It's, it's overkill. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's overkill. And the fact that he can do that, that had to have taken... I don't even know how long, just like that entire motion. Right. Of oh, and it's such a physical. It's such a physical act, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. So she was asked if she thought that his claim of sleepwalking was realistic, and she said, I think it could happen. Although the timing of all those events and somebody to be that deep in a state of, in a state of sleep throughout all those events. I personally find highly unlikely. Okay. Sleep expert says it. Yep. She said, I draw the line where he put her in the pool. I feel like he may have woken up and panicked and hiding it all. I just don't believe he was asleep at the time. Hmm. So I would like to leave you guys with this. The difference between life and death all rested on whether a man was awake or asleep. The last memory of Yarmila alive is a memory her longtime lover and killer forever claims he doesn't have. Wow. Yeah. Whenever I read that, it just stuck with me. Yeah, that's that's deep. That's so deep. And it rested on, on your mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know about that one. Yeah. I think he's in the right place, honestly. Mm-hmm. And even if, like, they did believe his sleepwalking plea. Yeah. He still did it at the end of the day. Uh, right. I mean, murder is murder. Mm-hmm. Whether you're insane or not, mm-hmm. you're still held accountable. So. Yeah. Woo. You mean whenever you're sleeping or not? Sleeping. Well, I would to stab somebody forty-four times. There has to be a level of insanity. I'm just saying. Yes. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, sleepwalking has been used successfully as a defense. One time in a defense in Ontario, a Canadian man was acquitted for the murder of his mother-in-law and attempted murder murder of his father-in-law based on the defense that he had been sleepwalking. Wow. So. um as of 2009, seven criminal cases had invoked the sleepwalking defense. Wow. It's just... Wow. <laughs> I, personally, all the research that I did, I don't believe he was sleepwalking. No. It. I understand that stress can cause it, and I can only imagine the stress that he had. Well, and if any normal person, like, who didn't want his wife dead, even if he, like, say he started stabbing her in his sleep, right? Yeah. That's probably as far as it got. Where did he get the knife? Right. He had to have gotten the knife. He likely would have woken up after somewhere between stabs 1 and 44. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, any normal, rational human being would be like, oh, shit, I'm stabbing my wife. Mm -hmm. I didn't mean to. Let me call call 911. Right. Yeah. And instead, he drug her body and drowned her. Mm -hmm. In the pool. And And then, then tried to cover it up. Yeah. He waited outside for the police. He didn't call them. No, the neighbors did. Yeah. Scott, you're where you, where you belong. Yes, sir. Well, I am going to take you just outside of Phoenix. Yes, take me there. <laughs> um, we are in the Scottsdale area, and I am going to... So, it took... The, the victims are from Scottsdale. Where the case happened was just north of Phoenix. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Scottsdale, and then I'll tell you a little bit about where we're going. So Scottsdale was originally named Orangedale because it's a great place to grow citrus fruit. Cute. I know. Isn't that adorable? That is. That is really cute. (laughs) Makes me want to have all the citrus trees. Yes. On average, in Scottsdale, Arizona, 
314 out of 365 days in a year are sunny. <laughs> Gates is like, that's too much sun. That's, that's way too much. Like, I would love it. <laughs> I want I want snow. I miss the Midwest. Oh. I miss getting snow. No. Yes. No. I like snow for one day, and then I can leave, and it's gone. Yeah. That's enough snow for me. If you're really into the wild, wild west, you can attend Arizona Cowboy College in Scottsdale and get an actual degree of as a cowboy. Oh, my God. And they have been teaching cowboy classes since 1980. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's so cute. Um, Scottsdale does not observe daylight savings time and is often listed as one of America's best places to live. Isn't it such, it's so cheery. It's like, I love so everything nice. about Scottsdale. And I've never even been there. No, and the fact that you don't have to observe daylight savings time, I hate it with a passion. Yeah. My dog wakes me up at 6 a.m. every single morning so he can get fed. Oh, I know. And then sometimes he wakes me up at 5 o'clock every single morning. <laughs> he's confused. He's like, Mom, I'm hungry now. Yes. He has an internal clock, and daylight savings time messes with Rexy's internal clock. <laughs> How dare you, daylight savings. Exactly. The current population of Scottsdale is 250,602, mm-hmm. and at the time of the case, it was just over 219,000, so a little bit of increase since then, but that's to be expected. It's almost almost been um, 20 years since the case. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I said, Scottsdale is a suburb of Phoenix. I don't know if that's how they refer to it there, but that's what it looks like to me on a map. So we're calling it a suburb. I'm really sorry if that's offensive, Scottsdale. Even though the victims were from Scottsdale, like I said, the case I'm covering actually unfolded about 30 miles north of Phoenix near Sunset Point on the night or early morning of October 18th and 19th in 2003. Um... For the rest of the case, I'm going to refer to the area as Phoenix, just because it's the nearest large city. Yeah. So the specific area is along Highway I-17 on the edge of Prescott National Forest. There's a single road that travels parallel to the highway before splitting off, kind of weaving down into a valley. Um, the road is quite a few miles long, um, but there's like a little part that jets off. And then, it, like I said, it loops back around. This is known as Bumblebee Road. Oh, I know. Isn't it so sweet? Remind me to tell you about the time that I met Bumblebee and he played Baby Come Back as I was walking oh. away. <laughs> um, this is a well-known area for hiking, camping, ATV trails, and a lot of partying. People like Bumblebee Road. I don't blame them. On Sunday, October 19th, 2003... The bodies of two people were found in the back of a pickup truck parked along the side of Bumblebee Road. Oh. I know it's not so sweet anymore. No. These two were quickly identified as a couple who had been reported missing that same day when they did not return home as planned. The first victim was 19-year-old Lisa Marie Greary. Lisa, born July 14, 1984, to John and Paula Greary, was a sophomore at Mesa Community College. She also worked as a secretary at Salt River Project, which is a power company in the area. And she was studying business management. She wanted to become a wedding planner. And her mom said her favorite movie was The Wedding Planner with J-Lo and Matthew McConaughey. Yes. (laughs) It came out, like, right around that time, I think just a couple years earlier. So that was her favorite movie at the time. She also loved music and was an extremely gifted singer. 
She sang all through school, at her church, and even at her uncle's wedding. Friends and family said she would always listen to NSYNC and was obsessed with JT, Justin Timberlake, and same. (laughs) Yes, who wasn't? I mean, okay, so personally, I'm a Backstreet Boys girl. Love so much better. Nick Carter, obviously I married a man named Nick, but Nick Carter was my You were manifesting. I I had manifested. Um, Lisa's awful fate was unfortunately not the first pain she and her family experienced, as Lisa's father, John, went through a awful battle with cancer and passed away when Lisa was younger. And the very last memory her father had before his death was actually singing a song with Lisa. He had woken up from being totally incoherent for many, many days and called Lisa to come over and sing with him. And as soon as they were finished singing and she left, he slipped back into unconsciousness and never woke up again. I know, isn't it heartbreaking? I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. So before he died, John, Lisa's dad, asked his brother Mark to watch over his daughter and wife since he... I'm not going to cry either. (laughs) Since he knew he wouldn't be around to do it himself, Mark promised. He loved and raised Lisa just as his own. Mark did have his own daughter around the same age as Lisa, and he said that they grew up alongside each other. Um, Mark actually becomes the person to speak out the most after Lisa's death in all accounts. The other victim found dead in a pickup truck parked on Bumblebee Road was Brandon Keith Rumbaugh. Brandon was 20 years old, born in Phoenix, May 7th, 1983. He was a student at Arizona State University. That must be the one page one. Probably. Paige, is it? Is it the right one? She'll let me know. Um, He was working as a personal trainer at a gym in Mesa. Brandon was also in the U.S. Marine Reserves. And to top it all off, he loved arts and music, just like Lisa. He played drums in a local band, was an avid painter and sculptor. He literally, there's nothing he didn't do. Oh my gosh. (laughs) He did everything. He trained. He was a trainer. He was in school, the reserves, bands. I mean, the kid did it all. His family described him as eternally optimistic, spontaneous, and goofy. And Lisa's mom said he treated her like a queen. Aww. I know. Brandon and Lisa met at a club about a year before, were living together in an apartment in Scottsdale, and by all accounts loved each other more than anything, and were discussing marriage, but wanted to wait until they had finished school. So, like, everything I could find, these two were responsible, just good kids. Like, it really seemed like they were on the right path. Like, they had found each other, they'd been together a while, they knew what they wanted for their future, and they were just putting in the work to get there. The night of October 18th, 2003, was Brandon and Lisa's one-year anniversary. (laughs) Their original plan was to take a trip to Disneyland. It was only about a six-hour drive, but they just didn't have the money to go. So instead, they borrowed Lisa's mom's white Ford F-150, packed a couple of sleeping bags and a video camera. They picked up a disposable camera on their way as well. And their plan was to just find a spot to park and sleep under the stars in the bed of the pickup while documenting their documenting their anniversary celebration through pictures and video. Goals. I know. Isn't that sweet? In 2003, like, that is prime date night. Yes. No, I think I actually might steal that for mine and my husband's one year anniversary. Aww. 
The best spot Brandon knew was off of Bumblebee Road. He had stayed here a couple of, with a couple of friends in the past and knew that it was secluded, that there were like these on the road. Um, there were actual campsites a little further down on Bumblebee Road, but where they stayed, it was like these little pull-offs. So um, like going up to Montesano, you know how they have like little pull-offs where people park and then they'll hike. It was the exact same thing. Like people would park there um, with their ATV trailers and unload and go on trails from there. A couple of things to note about this night. Lisa specifically asked her mom, Paula, and Aunt Trish, Mike's wife, not to tell him, Mike, because she knew he would not allow her to stay there and would have insisted they either find a different location or not go at all. And police estimate that there were over a thousand different people in and around the same area on the day of the crime. So very busy area. Yes, someone had to have seen something. One would think. The couple's families realized something was very wrong when Lisa, who was, as everybody you ask about Lisa, said that she was incredibly punctual. And she did not arrive with her mother's truck at 9 a.m. like she had told her she would. Mm -hmm. And that was immediately a red flag. Yeah. Um, And then to top that off, Brandon did not arrive for work at the gym. Immediately, Lisa's mom called her Aunt Trish and Uncle Mike and told them, that she had not heard from Lisa and since the night before and right away the family reported Lisa and Brandon missing and they began the search. So I have to say out of the hundreds of crew tram shows, books, podcasts that I've listened to, watched, read, I have to admit that this is probably the fastest missing persons report I've ever seen a response to. They like Everything I could find said that they immediately started looking. Wait, so you're telling me that they didn't have to wait 24 to 48 hours? (laughs) No. That was not a requirement in this case. I found no... I scoured, and I found no reports (laughs) saying that the police told anyone that they had to wait any length of time. They accepted the missing persons report and started searching. Good for you. I know. (laughs) So props to the Yavapai County Sheriff's Office on this particular part. Might be the only part that we feel that way, but we're going to give them credit where credit is due. Yes. (laughs) So now that law enforcement, family, and friends were all aware of the missing couple, everyone started searching. Lisa not only asked her mom and aunt to keep it from her uncle, but she also did not tell them or anyone else where they were going. So some do think that maybe Brandon had kept this part a surprise and like, she knew that they were going out, but she didn't necessarily, and what they were going to do, but she didn't necessarily know where, mm-hmm. because it was also out of character for Lisa to keep information from people. Okay. So, especially stuff like this. So, that's kind of where I'm leaning as well, because it, by all accounts, it just doesn't seem like her normal, normal character. Yeah. Um, and this was a time before cell phones connected all the dots for us in cases like this. Brandon did have a cell phone, but he only used it occasionally um and Lisa didn't have one at all so there was no way that they could like see where their phones pinged or see if they tagged a location in social media that just wasn't an option mm-hmm. I want you to keep this next part in mind moving forward the group who found the couple knew exactly where to look they drove straight to the spot where they found the truck and saw Lisa and Brandon both shot to death laying in the back they drove directly there One of the first things looked at in cases with a pair of dead intimate partners is murder-suicide in a domestic violence situation. However, that was quickly um, ruled out because almost immediately when police walked on the scene, 
because there was no weapon left behind. Mm -hmm. And both Lisa and Brandon were shot five times in the head and torso. So there's no way it could be a murder-suicide. No. Um, like I said, they were they were found in the back of the pickup, still lying in their sleeping bags, with no signs of defensive wounds, indicating that the couple had possibly been shot in their sleep or surprised by the attack if they had been awake. Um, so somebody came up on them in the dark if they were still sitting there or that they were already asleep. Casings were also found on the scene, and the murder weapon was identified as a 25 caliber handgun. So apparently this is a very rare weapon um, of choice for people, and it's also known as a pocket pistol. So it's one of those tiny palm-sized guns that you'd see like the rich white lady and Desperate Housewives carry. Yes. Yes. So oh. tiny, tiny, tiny gun. Um, and depending on the make or model, most 25 caliber handguns only hold a total of six rounds. So again, this is based on make and model. But with that in mind, there were 10 shots. So somebody had to stop and reload. Reload, exactly. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> um, the only other evidence found at the scene was, a dis was the disposable camera that they had picked up um, from a Walgreens on their way out to the spot. They verified this purchase um, and the empty video camera bag. The camera had been broken in half and appeared to have been thrown from the pickup at some point. So they. Police feel like the murderer got rid of the evidence. Yeah. Um, the VHS video camera was never found and is believed to have been taken from the scene. Yavapai police were actually able to develop some of the photos from this disposable camera, even though it was broken in half. And they found what to believe, what they believe to be some of the last moments of Lisa and Brandon alive. And it's actually the sweetest little thing. We're going to post it on Instagram. Um, it's a picture of each of them. Lisa sitting in the back, smiling back at Brandon, taking her picture, and then Brandon sitting in the back, smiling back at Lisa. It's just this, like, you can just see their, like, the love in their smiles. The other pictures were a little bit more intriguing and have been held as evidence all this time. There were three other photos in total, and in the other pictures, they, you can see... There was some light exposure, so you can really only see half of the picture. The other half is just whited out, from, mm -hmm. like, from the develop development. But what you can see is a light fixture, kind of one of those that's, like, it's in style now is, like, a rustic chic kind of, where it's just a metal, and then, but at the time was really common in, like, warehouses. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so kind of what it looks like a little straw hat. Yes, exactly, okay. but it's metal, and then it has a big bulb. Yes. So a light fixture like that and then a like a wrought iron fixture of some sort. It's not like it's kind of a kitty wampus picture, half of the ceiling, half of the floor, kind of half of a room, honestly. Um, it was confirmed that it was not the couple's apartment. And if we take into account that they picked up the camera on their way to the spot, mm -hmm. They, they supposedly never made any, any other stops. Nobody has ever come forward saying that they saw them before they would have been out at Bumblebee Road. Yeah. So police don't really know where these pictures came from, where they're of, what the location is. They have no idea. So some of the theories and possible suspects that I want to cover. Uh, I have a freaking suspect. <laughs> okay. The people who just drove straight there. <laughs> Holy cow. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, unfortunately, this is where some people do believe that the Yavapai Police Department um, kind of shit the bed with this case. Um, 
those, so just like you said, those friends who drove directly to the crime scene as if they knew what they would find. Mm-hmm. One of those friends was outwardly known to want to be in a relationship with Lisa. No. Yes. Everyone who knew them knew that this person was infatuated with her. Are you serious? Yes. And the police didn't think to... Well, just wait. He was a person of interest for a very brief time. The only thing used to clear him was a polygraph test. No! (laughs) Yes. Polys are admissible in court. Yep. So he um, took a polygraph test, passed, and was cleared immediately. Immediately after he was cleared, he disappeared from the area. He, police went back to ask him more questions and his apartment was completely empty and he was gone. Like, gone from the state. Gone. Okay, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. It was him. Yes, so there's him. Um, There was also a reported verbal altercation around 10 p.m. two nights before this happened between Brandon and a, quote, tall, husky, white male. They believe him to be around 40 years old and wearing a white t-shirt and jeans. This altercation took place at Lisa and Brandon's apartment, and no one has ever come forward stating that they know who it was or what it was about. The person never came forward and said, hey, you know, that was me. We're fighting over the electric bill, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing. So, likely, the only other person who knows if that had anything to do with the situation was the man or Lisa. So, we we may never know that part. Um, There was another unsolved homicide in the exact same area six months later where two men were killed by gunshots in their pickup truck. Five shots each? So I could not find if they had, if they identified the murder weapon or if it was the same MO. So I don't know if it was five shots each or if it was a 25 caliber pistol, but two people in their pickup shot. Do you think James Dale Ritchie? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> and that actually is kind of a perfect segue into the next theory. Oh. So bear with me through this one. Okay. It's a Reddit thread. Oh, okay. But, I mean, come on. We have to, we have to hit the Reddit threads yes. every now and then. This one has some really interesting ideas. Sometime between the night of August 14th and early morning, <laughs> August 15th of 2004, so we're a year later, mm-hmm. 22-year-old Lindsay Cutshall and 26-year-old fiancé Jason Allen were found shot to death on a beach in California. Okay. This was about 13 hours from Phoenix, so um, it was in Jenner, California, which is up kind of by San Francisco. There was another double homicide. I'm calling it a triple homicide, and you're going to know why. Stephen Haugen, Jeanette Bauman, and their dog were shot to death in Oak Ridge, Oregon. It is definitely a triple homicide. I know. Are you serious? Yes. The dog. You he had did to nothing. shoot the dog. He couldn't even identify you. I know. Isn't it awful? That's I, don't, I was pissed oh. when I was reading this. And this was about 18 hours from Phoenix. The last possible connection outlined on Reddit is the double homicide of 56-year-old Mary Cooper and her 27-year-old daughter, Susanna Cooper Stodden. This pair was shot to death while hiking on Pinnacle Lake Trail near Granite Falls, Washington on July 10th, 2006. Granite Falls is in northern Washington about 23 hours from Phoenix. So weird that these all are double human homicides. Mm -hmm. And the hikers in Washington make it seem kind of like they were all in secluded outdoor areas. Mm -hmm. But then 
Then, (laughs) this creates a map and a timeline for us. Phoenix to Jenner is 13 hours. Phoenix to Oak Ridge is 18 hours. Phoenix to Granite Falls was 23 hours. Seemingly very far apart for a repeat killer. At this point, it would be a serial killer that's two, four, six, eight victims plus a dog. Um, Nine victims. Nine victims. To make it, so if that, if it is, it's a serial killer. But if you place them on a map along the time points of their death, it paints a very compelling story. Really? Aside from the initial 13-hour trip from Phoenix to San Francisco area to Jenner, that would be the only long distance, all the murders occur almost directly north, one year apart from one another. What? Oak Ridge is eight and a half hours north of Jenner. Granite Falls is only five hours north of Oak Ridge. And they're all a year apart. So if this is the same person, they went from Phoenix in 2003, Jenner 2004, Oak Ridge 2005, Granite Falls 2006. And this is directly on the path to Vancouver, Canada. So at that point, it'd be like less than five hours to Vancouver, the Canadian border, as their getaway. Now, is it, are we talking freeway time? Um, this is current time, so yes, it'd be freeway, so maybe a little bit longer back then. Okay, so my question is, could it be a truck driver? Very good, good thought. I didn't even think of that. I mean, they're always on the road, Mm -hmm. and they might, that day could mean something special to them. It's not, so it's not a year to the day. It's just, like, within months, a year apart. Um, not, it's not like there was this big wait time where... You know, there's a murder here, and then six years later, one here, and then 12 years after that. Like, they're within two or three months of each other each year. Okay. Um, but, yeah, truck drivers. And we have, um, what is that one series? What do they call it? Just the... There's a few of them. Yeah. But uh, I'm thinking of that one guy. <laughs> That's very descriptive, I know. Yes. There's, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys. A lot of guys serial killers. Um, but he... He really was a truck stop killer. Like, he picked girls up at truck stops and would dispose of their bodies multiple states away. Uh, Dr. No? Oh, this is what I'm thinking of. Yes, and he would call yeah. on the on the um, CD radio. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Creeper. So, regardless of a connection or not, um, these two beautiful people lost their lives. Their families are very, very sad. This case is still wide open. Um, I do want to give credit to another podcast. Um, True Crime Arizona is a great podcast. I actually listened to their episode on um, the Bumblebee Road murders um, to get some information. And I highly recommend they cover all cases in Arizona. Yeah. And then if you have any information about the murders, you can call the Yavapai County Sheriff's Office at 928-771-3278. And if you prefer to stay anonymous, you can call Silent Witness at 800-932-3232. That is the story of Lisa and Brandon. Would you like to hear a scary statistic about truck drivers? So I'm going to start by saying, because it's not like a scary statistic involving truck drivers, but 0.0075% of professional truck driver, out of the professional truck driver population, is estimated to be a serial killer. What? uh, They estimate 300 highway serial killers. 
and that represents 0.0075%. 300, I mean, there's I know there's hundreds of trucks out there, but that's a lot on the road, and they're literally traveling from state to state, seemingly unannounced. I mean, the only people that really know would be the company they're working for. Yeah. And I actually, when, so a lot of times I will drive, at the time, Matthew moved down here, my husband moved down here, and I was still up in Minnesota, and I would travel back and forth. And I loved rest stops because you could park, you could get out, stretch, do your thing. Mm-hmm. I stopped going to rest stops after listening to Morbid, um, Morbid True Crime Podcast because you cannot trust them. Like, no. how many people, like, especially with their listener tales, like, so many people were, like, followed at truck stops mm-hmm. or rest stops, like, People banging on the doors in the, in the stalls. I'm not doing all that. No, no, thank you, Satan. Not today. <laughs> no. no. So now I have a rule. If I'm traveling alone, one, I carry my knife everywhere. Yes. So it's a fillet knife from my dad. So you're going to get filleted. <laughs> <laughs> but it will still hurt. Yes. <laughs> and I don't stop after dark. Like, I, if it's starting to get dark out, it doesn't matter if I have three quarters of a tank of gas and I don't need it. I will stop and get gas, check my tires, and I don't stop until I get to my destination. Yes. So, um, I road trip frequently to get to Missouri to see Mm -hmm. my family, Oklahoma, Arkansas, whatever. And I will only stop at love stations. Yeah. Like, I Well lit. (laughs) Well lit love stations. You know that they always have a nice clean bathroom. They have snacks. Typically, a lot of the times, they'll have food associated with them. Mm-hmm. So whenever I travel, I only stop at Love's whenever I'm by myself. Now, yeah. my husband, he is six foot three. <laughs> like, he is a big man. So I I am invincible whenever I am with him. I just noticed um, my husband and I went out to dinner a couple, I guess, I guess it's been a week or two now. And he noticed some odd behavior, not anything creepy, like we were going to get attacked or anything like that, but we're, cause we're here in Huntsville, but he noticed some behavior that I feel like I would normally be really aware of mm-hmm. if I was on my own, but I was completely clueless to it because yeah. I was with him. We had our men to protect I know. Like... And like he ever so gently moved me to the inside of the sidewalk and we just kept on and he was like, did you not realize that? And I had no idea. I was completely clueless. I didn't even know there's another person on the sidewalk with us. Oh. I, I know. That's creepy. And your husband's a big man. He is. And like, thank God he's there because... And I hope, and I told him this too, I'm like, I hope when you're not here, I would have realized that. Yeah. Like, Because I feel like I'm a very... Hypervigilant. Yeah, person. for yeah. sure. Because I tell everybody else to be hypervigilant. I'm yes. The, I'm the biggest hypocrite if that's the case. Yes. I'm always telling people, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Yeah. And I walk around, my mom bought me one of those uh, car knives. It's the one that you can break out a window. Yes. Cut your... Um, I have one of those as thing, well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seatbelt, and then it has the serrated and a blunt tip. Yep. It's going to hurt. So... I'm just oh, saying. It is going to hurt. I got my youngest sister... Uh, oh, gosh. Sorry. I just hit my not-so-funny bone. Um, I got my youngest sister one of those birdie alarms. Have you seen those? No. So I they don't. go on your keychain, and it just looks like a little flashlight almost. Like, it's it's little and thin. Hers is yellow and adorable. Mm-hmm. And it has this little pull tab that sticks in the top that goes around your keychain. And all she has to do is pull that off, and it like it's this deafening, screeching alarm. And it's oh. it's called a birdie, and it's a personal safety device. That's awesome. I know. I need to look into that. So she carries it on her keys. Well, she's supposed to. She tells me she does, Cora. <clears throat> Cora. <laughs> and 
the idea is that even if she doesn't have like a weapon to defend herself, she can at least draw attention to herself. Oh, those are cute. Aren't they adorable? They yes. come in all kinds of colors. Oh. <laughs> Not sponsored, but should be. Yes. <laughs> no, I might get these because I always, I'm a mother hen. I always worry yeah. about my siblings. My youngest brother plays baseball. He's mm-hmm. traveling. Luckily, he has my parents with him at all times. Good. But he's going to be going off to college soon. He's he's a big guy. He yeah. can fend for himself. But still, but I my mean. My little sister, all of my sisters travel. One of my sisters travels with the fair. Yeah. So she, Mackenzie, Mackenzie. <laughs> You're getting this for Christmas. You're welcome. Merry Christmas. <laughs> all the siblings get a birdie. Yes. <laughs> I do not blame you. serious note I want to talk to you about a missing person from Scottsdale Arizona so he was last seen the night of September 22nd 2021 he was actually reported missing on September 23rd the Scottsdale Police Department is asking for assistance from the public in locating a missing autistic male 20 year old Najib Monsif Monsif he was last seen the night of September 22nd at his home in a neighborhood northeast of Frank Lloyd Wright in La Linda, La Linda, Vida Linda in Scottsdale. Najib is described as a Middle Eastern male, about 5 foot 10 with a thin build and possibly wearing all black clothing. He can speak and is reported to have the mental capacity of an 8 year old child. He is, does not have his cell phone on him and he does not drive. It is believed that he left his home on foot. So any information regarding the whereabouts is asked to contact the Scottsdale Police Department. Their number is 480-312-5000. So once again, I'm going to go ahead and describe him to you. So he's a 20-year-old male of Middle Eastern descent. He's about 5 foot 10. He has a thin build. It doesn't tell us an exact weight brown eyes and black hair so guys please be on the lookout once again their phone number is 480-312-5000 should we tell everybody how they can find us oh yes <laughs> we have big news today is an official day for killer country we are officially um able to be found officially present on patreon for, for starters, you can find us at Killer Country Podcast on Patreon. On Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. You can just, now it's so easy, you can just search Killer Country. Yes. And it pulls us right up. And our beautiful uh, picture, what, what is that called? It's a logo? No. <laughs> a, a graphic? Yes, <laughs> our beautiful graphic, know. courtesy of my friend Holly. Um, <laughs> beautiful. Uh, all you have to do is look for that. We're on Anchor. We are on Anchor and Spotify, both Killer Country Podcast. Um, you can find us on Instagram now, Killer Country po- at Iller, Killer at Killer Country. <laughs> Killer Country. At, get the K. <laughs> no K's here. No, there is a K at Killer Country Podcast on Instagram, and that is where we're going to be posting. Like we're going to post something each time we post an episode, um, and then any facts that we have kind of along the way, we're going to add in there as well. So on Facebook, you can find us at Killer Country Podcast. It's facebook.com backslash Killer Country Podcast. And then if you have any case suggestions for upcoming states, 
Um, if you're from the area and you know of a crime that happened at some point in history, feel free to send it to us at killercountrypodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send your campfire yes, stories Yes, if there. you have the creepy spookies that happened to you, we want to read them around the campfire. Tell me your truck stop stories. I hope you made it out okay. They have to. <laughs> oh yeah, if they're telling us the story, you're safe. They're alive. You, you filleted somebody. Great job. <laughs> Good job. Round of applause. <laughs> and we hope you... Keep listening to Killer Country and are on the trip with us to our next stop is, what's after Arizona? Arkansas! Arkansas. <laughs> Where I was born in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Woo-woo! So, beautiful area. I traveled there recently, did not realize how close it was to Oklahoma. It's literally like a two-minute drive. Oh, wow. That's really close. <laughs> yes. So, Almost not Arkansas. Yes, almost not Arkansas. (laughs) But still Arkansas. Yes. All right, y'all. We will see you in Arkansas. We'll see you then. Bye. Help us. Guys, guys. (laughs) Sorry, before we sign off. Please help us come up with something witty to say. Like, I love listening to, and that's why we drink, where they like volume Yes. And that's why we drink. Or or, the weirdos. Yeah. Keep listening and keep it weird. But don't keep it so weird that. Ash is the best. Um, what else? Crime junkie, they, crime junkies, you're, mm-hmm. everybody's a crime junkie, see that's cool. What would you guys like to be called? So. And if we can't come up with anything, I say we just try a different witty ending on every episode until something sounds right. Until something works. <laughs> Something's gonna stick. Okay, stay safe, don't do anything I wouldn't do. That's my advice. <laughs> Bye guys. <laughs>